The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You are entering the Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour with Josh Dunn and Anshu Khanna. You are now in the Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour. I am Josh Dunn. I am joined, as always, by Anshu Kana. Anshu, it is the Josh. first day of the Sweet 16. It is opening day in Major League Baseball, and I officially hate sports. But how are you? <laughs> Josh, my bracket is so busted. It is in shambles on the ground. It is lit on fire. It is the worst, but... You know, it's still madness, so we're still watching. We're still helping you guys, hopefully, and uh, we'll still talk about it. Thank God for Bovada's Celebrity Bracket Challenge. I mean, my bracket is also busted. I I had all my Elite Eight teams going into this weekend. I was all excited. You know, Florida State's playing. It's my team. I think they're going to win. They choke. Tennessee gets screwed, and I'm sitting here now uh, looking at possibly having no Elite Eight teams by the end of this week. Uh, but we'll talk about that. If you haven't done the Bracket Challenge, the Celebrity Bracket Challenge on BovadaSportsBook.com, check that out. You can still do that through the end of the tournament. You pick your favorite celebrity. You're entered into a drawing with $5,000 worth of cash prizes. I know Anshu and I have done it. I've got Ocho Cinco. I know you've got Snoop Dogg. Uh, but uh, Bovada is bringing us something fun with this uh, with this tournament. Yes, sir. It is cool. It's a cool little feature that they've got going. It's not really that you pick their bracket it's that you you know you basically pick the the celebrity your team that you're on essentially so yes i'm hashtag team snoop all the way i love it so let's talk about what's happened and what is happening we're recording at about halftime of the two games we've got florida state who lost 72 to 58 uh you know they came in as a seven and a half point underdog uh they end up losing and gonzaga avenges their their loss to florida state from a year ago that put florida state into the elite eight doesn't happen this year the zags will move on uh, obviously Florida State played great defense in this game, but uh, they got themselves into some foul trouble, and they just couldn't hit hit shots. They were 3 of 20 from the three-point line. 15% is not going to get it done against the Gonzaga team. No, it's and, it, it, you know, it was pretty uncharacteristic. Like, obviously, the clock struck midnight a little bit on them without Phil Kofer, um, which is tough because it's not like he did anything wrong and, and quite, a, quite the opposite, really. It's just, unfortunately, kind of one of those things when you go one and done that this stuff happens. And I would be interested to see these two teams play a best of seven series because I do think it'd be very close. I, I do think that, you know, we, we've just gotten some fatigue, some Gonzaga fatigue over time. Um, but you know, this Florida state team was every, was up to the challenge. And I think it would have been, uh, you know, it'd be a really fun series, but Florida state will be heard from here in the next few weeks. And in the meantime, Gonzaga becomes, you know, what they have been, which is a one seed, which is a very much a threat to the, to the throne here. So yeah, so the underdog there goes down the underdog in the other game, a very slight underdog, albeit in Purdue ends up winning in overtime. And it was a Carson Edwards three point attempt that they call a foul on, that ends up uh, putting this game into overtime. He misses the first and then makes the next two, and then Purdue really takes care of things in overtime. But this game, it was very lopsided at the beginning. Purdue went on uh, you know, a big run to start this game out. Tennessee comes roaring back in the second half. Looks like they're in control, and then Purdue just keeps making shots, and uh, they end up forcing overtime and winning this thing with that momentum. So w- what were your thoughts on, on what Purdue do- had done in this game? I think a lot of us had Tennessee, including you and myself, but uh, the Boilermakers move on. Yeah, I mean, just uh, an absolute insane run from Ryan Klein. I mean, you get a career game out of him, 7 of 10 for 27 points, and then, you know, Carson Edwards was Carson Edwards. I mean, he wasn't as efficient as you'd like, but, you know, 29 is 29. You know, they were just there was just a little too much and just a lack of urgency from Tennessee early. And, you know, like, I don't know about you, but when I fill out these brackets a lot of times, I probably shouldn't do this, but I pick senior-laden teams that, you know, would have that urgency from Jump Street, and they – they didn't have that. And I mean, like, I, you know, you understand that you just tip your cap when a team shoots 50% from three, like Purdue essentially did this game on 31 attempts. But 
like Tennessee did have it at the end and they just choked it away. And that's, that's the shame of it. And that's, you know, that's like, as people who are backing Tennessee, that's a tough one to see. Yeah. And I think honestly, the coaching for Tennessee, I just didn't understand kind of who they went to at certain points in the game. Admiral Schofield's been their star all year. He started slow, but then he picked it up in the second half and then they just choose not to go to him in overtime. I thought that was odd. Uh, but, uh, you know, Purdue moves on. I didn't see it. I thought that, uh, Purdue would, would be out of this tournament before this, but they're, they're proving me and a lot of other people wrong and they will move on mm-hmm. to the elite eight. We've got two other games going on right now. Texas tech pulling away from Michigan in the second half, uh, just uh, over 13 minutes left as we're recording here. And then Oregon down by eight at halftime to Virginia and one of the most boring games of all time. Uh, but uh, you, you did you did say that you thought Virginia would move on. Uh, I don't know how you had this Texas Tech game shaken out, but if things stay this way, it looks like we'll have Texas Tech and Virginia moving on to the Elite Eight. Do you think either of these teams makes a comeback in these games? Uh, predict predict the future in the future as our listeners listen. Uh, I had Texas Tech, so I'm feeling that one. Uh, the Virginia one, they actually went through a stretch here in the first half where they did not look very good against Oregon. And Oregon has been maybe the hottest team in the country when you think of the Pac-12, maybe other than Auburn, down this stretch. Um, you know, they've they've been on fire. And the way they looked in the first week, and they might have looked as good as any team. They're the lone double-digit seed, obviously, in this tournament. They're the lone seed that's above five in this, left in the Sweet 16. So, you know, it's it's uh, they're good. Like, they're, they play good defense. And Virginia's just not the type of team that generally is going to pull away. But Virginia goes on a huge run there. Been a couple of surprising runs in that one, but I would expect Oregon to make that close. Ultimately, Virginia to la- outlast them, and Texas Tech is just destroying Michigan. Michigan cannot shoot. Twenty-two points through thirteen through with only twelve forty-nine left for Michigan. That is insane for a John Beeline team. And uh, Te- Chris Beard and Texas Tech look like they're definitely bound for the Elite Eight. And you know, I think they're going to give some issues and potentially make a run here at the Final Four. All right, let's talk tomorrow's games. We've got LSU at uh, LSU against Michigan, Mich- excuse me, Michigan State. Michigan State, the favorite here, minus six on Bovada. We've got Auburn, the six-point underdog against North Carolina. Virginia Tech, a seven-point underdog against Duke, who almost went down to UCF. And then you've got Houston and Kentucky. Kentucky, the three-point favorite here. So thinking about Friday's games, how do you see these going from a betting perspective on the lines? And then who do you ultimately see moving on to the Elite Eight? All right. Uh, Let's start with LSU, Michigan State. LSU, like you said, plus six on Bovada. Um, I I think that, you know, LSU has played well without Will Wade. I think that they've their emergence that, you know, that Maryland team played really well. They're really talented and they played as well as they can play and almost at them. But LSU did a great job of pulling away. I, I think that's a landmine game for Michigan State. I love LSU plus six in that. I think Michigan State probably edges them out. It just, you know, Izzo and March and all that. And, you know, first game of the weekend, especially with the better coach, I think is a, is a sign. Um, and LSU is just not, like, efficiency-wise, they're way below everybody else that's playing tomorrow pretty much. So, you know, I, I've got Michigan State. I think that – I don't know that they cover, but I do think that they're getting healthy and they're getting better, and um, I like them to win that game. Yeah, um, I I actually think LSU is going to pull this out, and I I, I know Michigan wow. State's probably the better the better team generally speaking, but I think LSU has kind of got a little bit of their their magic going, and I I'm going to say the same thing about Duke. LSU wins a close game that they probably should have lost earlier on in this tournament. I think they're going to use that as fuel to their fire to move past Michigan State, and I, I really do believe that LSU is going to win this. And as as a as a better, I, I don't mind the money line there at plus two forty. I think that's a place that you can win some money. We've we, you mentioned Michigan State in in the tournament. They have lost games that they should have won in the past, and I just don't, I, I probably should because the Big Ten had had a nice showing earlier on in this tournament. Should trust the Big Ten more, but I think the SEC, yeah. SEC is a little bit stronger than people give them credit for this year. I agree. Like, you know, the, everyone was talking about the Big Ten after they went, what, 8-1 and one in the first round. It's looking like there may just be Purdue after this round, especially if you're correct and Michigan State goes down. So Michigan's not looking good and Michigan State could be next. And, you know, we look for breakout stars in these tournaments and, you know, the guys whose stock rises the most. I think Nas Reed, he looks like an absolute beast. <laughs> He is a star for LSU, and um, you know I'm really excited to see how he looks against Ward and, and those bigger big guys on uh, on Michigan State. So the, my only question is, can uh, uh, Waters 
shut down and, and defend Cassius Winston because that's going to be the matchup to watch there. But that's going to be a really fun game. And it's the one, I think, of all these games, that's probably the one that I've kind of, like, brushed past the most. I don't know about you, but that maybe Virginia-Oregon just because, you know, not many people have Virginia. So, um, But that, that game is one that I've just sort of ignored, and I think that it'll be a good one. And, I'm, you know, if, you, if you're into it, like you said, plus 240 on LSU might be an interesting bet. Yeah, I think they're they've got they've got some depth. Obviously, they've got length. Uh, I like Skylar Mays quite a bit. You mentioned Nas Reed. If he can stay out of foul trouble, he's he's obviously going to be a huge asset for them. You know, one of their their young freshmen. And then you've got Tremont Waters, who who you mentioned as well. I just I think that this team has a deep enough roster. Obviously, you know, you mentioned some of the the issues uh, that they've faced off the court as well, but I, I just think that this team, they, they ended up the number one seed in the SEC tournament. Obviously they go down in that, but you've got, you still, you're sitting at, just looking at Friday alone, you've got Auburn, LSU, and Kentucky here all in the Sweet 16. And I think, I just think the SEC is a better conference this year than the Big Ten. I, I know that, that, that again, we're, we're, we're in Big Ten country and there's going to be a lot of criticism of me saying that, but I think LSU, like I said, I just, I just think they're a more talented team uh, top to bottom. Obviously, Michigan State probably has the star power uh, nod uh, on them, but I, I think that uh, I think LSU has what, what it's going to take to pull this off. And I know I'm the minority there, uh, and I'm comfortable being that in this situation. Uh, but mm, what what about uh, yeah, true. <laughs> 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 Moving on, we've got Auburn, North Carolina. Auburn, you, you just talked about them being one of the hottest teams, if not the hottest team in the country. But UNC, uh, you know, they're one of the favorites to go to the national title. Uh, do you think North Carolina holds suit here in the Sweet 16? I do. I just think that they're playing really well. It'll be interesting to see if Nasir Little plays, because again, you talk about breakout stars, the freshman who was presumed probably top four pick coming into this year and just has kind of stalled similar to Cam Reddish, if not worse, really, he hasn't even started for UNC, but you know, he has come on really well in this tournament. If he plays and the way that, you know, they're, they're playing, you know, I'm not a big fan of the point guard, but he's Kobe White is, is a really good player. And um, you know, Cam Johnson's really good. Luke May is is experienced, and they've just North Carolina has been the third best team according to efficiency rating since February first. They've been awesome. Auburn has been right there too. I mean, they're I believe they're the number thirteen team. We talked about how they rolled through the SEC. They killed what we saw today a very good Tennessee team in that neutral site final. Um, and so you know they're they're good too. And and I think that that's going to be a really interesting game. But ultimately, I just I like North Carolina. I'm not sure. I think the line is a little bit long, but that's a tough one to bet because both teams want to get up and down. Bruce Pearl went on SVP this week and said, bet the over. So, you know, if you're going to take Bruce Pearl's advice, the over-under is 165, and the coach of Auburn says, bet bet the over, you probably want to do that. Um, I'm not sure if he'll actually do that because I think the way to beat North Carolina is probably to to take the air out of the ball a little bit and not not let, you know, Kobe White get going with it. But, um, you know, it's... I love this Auburn team. I think those two guards in the backcourt are really fun. I'm not the biggest Bruce Pearl fan, but they are, this Auburn team's good, and I think that it's going to be a, a really fun up-and-down game, the opposite of these two games we, we're watching tonight. Yeah, you, you kind of went with the theme I was going to go with here too, and it's just if you, if you didn't like what you saw in these two late games here on Thursday and you want to see some good basketball, some teams that like to get up and down the court and run and put points on the board, this is going to be the game of the weekend as far as that goes. So I think for that reason it's going to be electric. I think North Carolina just has the star power. I think they're going to end up pulling it out. Uh, and, and I actually had them in my title game with Duke. But I, I think North Carolina wow. beats Auburn in this one. I think it'll be a close game. I think Auburn will give them a run for their money. And I think this Auburn team, uh, again, they're on a hot streak. They're they're better than t- people have given them credit for. Bruce Pearl has been in these situations before. And I, I also am not a huge fan of his. But North Carolina, I think, is going to win in a close one. What about Virginia Tech-Duke? Another ACC battle here in the tournament. You've got uh, Duke coming off of that edge win against UCF where they almost go down uh, to the Knights, the Golden Knights, that is. But uh, Virginia Tech has been a team that's been in a lot of close games this year that has been competitive, uh, and I think that this Virginia Tech team could give Duke fits in certain areas. But uh, obviously Duke the big favorite here at seven points. Yeah, I- I like Virginia Tech with a point. I, I think Duke will win, but I do like the dog again. I think that, you know, this is a Virginia Tech team that beat Duke at home. That Yes, it was without Zion Williamson, 77-72. But they, you know, they took Florida State to overtime at Florida State. They again played Florida State to overtime in the ACC tournament. Remember, that was an awesome game. And that lead. was, yes. But both those games were without Justin Robinson, their star senior guard, who is now playing. And, you know, we saw what happened to Duke where, 
you know, they, when UCF, you know, basically pounded in, you know, let Duke shoot. Duke is the worst shooting team in this tournament, bar none, like in the tournament, in the field. They're the worst three point shooting team, period. And, you know, they, they may have escaped one. I think that this one is going to be a real issue for them. I do, again, think that they'll, again, do what they did last week, but Nikhil Alexander Walker. Justin Robinson, I mean, that's that's going to be an issue for them. Kerry Blackshear Jr. is the interior threat and super efficient on the interior. So, um, you know, I think that that's – it's going to be – it's going to be all Duke can handle. I think ultimately they pull it out, but it, I think this is going to be a really good game. Yeah, I, I, I want to agree with you, and, and I hate myself for saying this, but I think Duke had a major wake-up call, and I think that the they talent they have is just too good to let them be in a close game again. I mean, they might be in a close game for a lot of this game, but I think they're gonna. it's going to be eerily similar to what they did against Florida State in the ACC Tournament Championship, where – Florida State looked like they were in control, looked like they could potentially win that game with relative ease, and then Duke turned on the Jets. Zion got, you know, went into Hulk mode, and they they ran away and and ended up winning by 14 or whatever it was. Uh, So I I think that's going to be kind of similar to the way this game goes. I think Virginia Tech will keep it close a lot of the way, and then Duke's going to pull away at the end. And I I do see them covering that seven points. I know that's big uh, in a Sweet 16 matchup between a one and a four seed, but I think Duke Duke covers that. I think they win this, and I don't think that they have another close matchup until the Final Four in this tournament. I just, I think that, like I said, I think that UCF game is a wake-up call for them. I think they should have lost it, and I think uh, Coach K is going to coach them up to make sure that they don't put themselves in a position to be close like that again, at least until they face an opponent. And not that Virginia Tech, to your point, you mentioned you brought up a lot of great points about the depth and the talent that this team has. I just don't think that they have as much, uh, you know, or can keep up with what Duke's going to be able to do uh, in, in, in a coming off of one of their toughest games of the season. All right, let's get. I mean, you've watched the Knolls, so you've seen them play both these teams. You've seen, obviously, a lot of Duke. Do you see, like, I mean, so you you think after having watched that that Virginia Tech's going to have issues staying with them pretty much? I just think that Duke's going to come out with a fire that they haven't done yet in this tournament because of what they, because like of that. what happened to them against UCF. I think that I think that yeah. the three stars reddish. Uh, you know, RJ Barrett and, and Zion are going to come out and just take control of this game. I, like I said, I think it could take them a little while to get into that zone. Uh, they, I think I feel like I feel like they're going to come out to a little spurt. Virginia Tech will work their way back into it, and then I think Duke's going to pull away with maybe 15 minutes left, and they won't look back. That's that's kind of how I see this game going. And I have watched a lot of Duke this year. You know, the first time Florida State played them, they didn't even have Zion, so uh, it's tough to base my opinion of Duke on that. But what, what I saw from Duke in that ACC tournament, I think is kind of what I expect to see here against Virginia Tech. And I think they would have done something similar to Virginia Tech had it been Virginia Tech that won that game against Florida State and moved on to beat Virginia. And that's who they ended up playing. I just think that, you know, kind of a, some similarities there. I, I think I think Duke, uh, like I said, I think they run away with this one. But, uh, you know, I've been wrong many times before and I wouldn't be surprised to be again and I feel like I'm about to be when we talk about Kentucky and Houston. Houston is a team that I've doubted this tournament and I feel like I shouldn't have. They come in as a three-point underdog against Kentucky and I I want to I want to say I think Houston's going to win this game now even though I have Kentucky in my bracket. I'm with you dude. I am totally with you. I think that this game should be literally a, a push if not favoring Houston. I mean if PJ Washington I know we've been talking about this every freaking game but Wofford should have beat Kentucky last round flat out and I know again PJ Washington if he does play he's not going to be the same I think he probably will Cal posted that tweet about showing PJ Washington running around or some something like that but I you know I they're just a different team without him and even if he's there he's not going to be the same I I think this Houston team you talk about two big time upperclassmen guards Corey Davis Jr. Armani Brooks are both awesome players um and you know this this Kentucky, or Houston team has looked really good. I mean, they they beat Ohio State by 15. It was never close. They crushed Georgia State. I mean, they've they yeah they lost to Cincinnati, but they dominated throughout the season in an underrated AAC. I, I just think that Houston is a really good team, and I think that they are going to give Houston, Kentucky all they can handle. And I think they're going to win this game flat out. But I, I love plus three, and I would bet the money line as well the money line plus 140 i think that's a great bet this should be even straight up especially with washington potentially out yeah it frustrates me because this houston team is the type of team that i would like in a tournament like this and it's a team that i i think kentucky's a team that is vulnerable and we saw that against wofford and if you know fletcher mcgee has the worst game he's played all season i think he was one for 12 from three in that game if he has zero, zero, for, 12. zero for 12 sorry if he if he hits Terrible. three threes they win that game and it's just it was it was it's frustrating because I 
saw something similar out of Florida State today going, you know, two or three of 20. And, and you know, the, the, it's just it, those those types of games can kill a team. I can see Kentucky having a bit of a setback after that, uh, you know, bar- barely beating a Wofford team that did not play even close to their potential. And I think Houston is kind of, you know, they're proving that that Tennessee game, or excuse me, that Cincinnati game was a bit of a fluke. Maybe maybe they weren't taking it as seriously. Maybe they were looking forward to the tournament. But if they were looking forward to the tournament, they had their eyes on the prize because they've looked nothing short of excellent so far in this tournament. And I think that'll continue. This I think this will be the closest game of tomorrow. Um, I think that that Auburn at North Carolina game will be fun, but I think this is a game that could come down to the last shot. And I think that ultimately Houston wins it in a close one. I can't believe we agreed on that. I thought one of us was going to take Kentucky, and I think no, both, dude, I think both I, of us have Kentucky in our brackets. I, I, yeah, I think so too. I mean, look, I, 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 yeah, I, I either, I don't know. I had Houston versus Kentucky. It was close. That was a toss-up, but only because of Washington. If Washington's healthy, it's tough to pick against Kentucky. They have so many good players: Harrow and Travis, and obviously Kelton Johnson coming off the bench. He's also been kind of erratic in this tournament. But I just that Wofford game was assigned to me, and you know, you brought it up with Duke. I think it's just one of those things where either you can take that, a talented team can either take a close game like that and, you know, go to the next level with it, or, you know, it's a sign of things to come, right? And, like, I just think that that Kentucky team, I, I don't think they're that good, candidly. I just, they're not, like, a sa- the same kind of Kentucky team without Washington, and I, I think that they are going to have issues with a really good Houston team. So, um, no, I'm, I'm with you now. I, I think that Houston pulls this one off. The beautiful thing about this job of doing a, a sports podcast is that we get to be wrong and then revise our picks later on, <laughs> which we're going to do. We're going to give our we revised final four picks. But before we do that, I want to tell you guys about our friends at Podcast One. We, we're we always telling you about all the great shows they have to offer. This week, it's the big podcast with Shaq. Are you down with March Madness Fever? Or the, then check out the big podcast with Shaq on Podcast One Sportsnet. We all love Shaq, obviously. Listen to the big guy himself for the best basketball coverage of the NCAA tournament. His LSU Tigers, obviously, playing with a few laughs thrown in as well as we always get from Shaq. Get the inside scoop and download new episodes of the big podcast with Shaq every Monday on Podcast One. So, Anshu, I promised we'd give our final four picks Let's do that. We already talked about what we think is going to shake out as far as the Elite Eight goes. Now we have an opportunity to make things right on our busted brackets. Let's hear your final four picks now as we have an opportunity to revise them. Oh, man. All right. Let's do this. This is going to be a depressing situation when they all lose again. But I've got Duke over Michigan State. I think Duke ultimately does edge out VT. And then I think Michigan State or LSU, I could see that going either way. But I think it's going to be Michigan State. I think Michigan State's flawed, though, and I think Duke, you know, we talked about it at the beginning of this tournament, the outside, who had the easiest road. I did not think it was Duke. I believe you did, and the way it's shaking out, I mean, they have they have not had an easy road. UCF, you know, and I'm not saying that maybe it's just because Duke's not a good shooting team, but UCF, VT, and then potentially Michigan State, any of them could beat them, but I like Duke to win the East. Do you have – is that how you have it in that region? Yeah, so I, I also have have Duke in my final four. Um, I, I had Tennessee, uh, you know, that one a little frustrating the way that that one turned out for my bracket. But um, I think I, I think I, I still have North Carolina and Duke in the finals. Uh, but you know, obviously, talking about having to revise what I what I've got. Um, let me pull up my bracket here. I've got. I've got. Go ahead. Yeah. I've got I, – I think I agree with you with North Carolina. I think they're just too good, and, and I said that. I thought they had the easiest road. Auburn's going to be tough. I think that Houston or Kentucky is going to be a much easier game for UNC, assuming they get by Auburn. So I, I agree with you on, on those two. And then in the south, we're going to look at either Virginia, Oregon, probably Virginia against Purdue. I love Virginia there. I think that they, they dismantle that Purdue team. And then Gonzaga Tech is going to be a really good game, the way Texas Tech's playing, but I like Gonzaga. So my final four is pretty chalky. I'm looking at – Four, four one seeds here with Duke, Gonzaga, Virginia, and UNC. If I had to pick one one seed not to make it, though, I would say it's Virginia. I think Texas Tech – I'm sorry, Gonzaga. I think Texas Tech can beat Gonzaga. Yeah, so I actually have Texas Tech in, in one of my brackets. Um, I think it's the oh, one there you I'm go. with you. So I'm going to stick with Texas Tech. It looks like they're going to take care of business here against Michigan. They haven't really had a test, and they should have, especially against Michigan. Uh, so I'm going to stick with Texas Tech. And I, I had Tennessee. I wanted to see that Tennessee-Virginia matchup, a huge conflicting styles matchup there. 
Uh, would have been interesting to see those two go up against each other. I just I think Virginia will be able to wear Purdue down, so I'm going to take Virginia as well. And I, I hate to see you know a, a three ACC Final Four like that. And I was hoping to see four if Florida State could get into it, and we were at this point. But I'm going to stick with Texas Tech. I'm going to go with Virginia, and then I'll, I'll go with ultimately Duke beating North Carolina in the final in the Final Four in the national championship. I should say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, it feels chalky, but this whole tournament's been chalky, hasn't it? Yeah, it's just kind of the way it is, unfortunately. But yeah, it's it's been really not that fun, honestly. I want to say, but hopefully, like because of the again because of the lack of upsets, we get some really awesome elite eight and final four games, and I, I do think we will. But yeah. just you know, I hope you're Sweet right. Sweet sixteen has kind of sucked too. I hope you're right. It's been brutal, but uh, you know, it, it, there have been some close games. We'll probably see a couple more tomorrow. Uh, as much as I tell myself I'm not going to watch, I will be glued to my TV on Friday watching these games. But we did want to spend some time talking about baseball on this show. Uh, It is opening day after all. But before we get to some fantasy baseball pointers and and, and just talking points about uh, what we have coming up with fantasy baseball, we've had two drafts, uh, had the two of them. You might have had a few more, actually. But wanted to talk about Yahoo Daily Fantasy. We've got Yahoo on board with us. I know you and I both use Yahoo for several leagues, whether it's fantasy basketball, fantasy baseball, fantasy football. We're all using Yahoo for all of our fantasy. So why not try using Yahoo for your daily fantasy? And Anshu, I know you've been using it for a while. I'm just now getting started. Uh, but daily daily fantasy is, is a little bit different than what you're used to in your leagues if you have never done it. Uh, there's several sites out there that do it, but I feel like Yahoo is one of the best. And right now, you can actually get a $25 bonus when you make your first deposit by using the promo code POD25. But why don't you tell our listeners about your experience, aren't you, with Yahoo Daily Fantasy? Yeah, you can play quick matches. They've got ML- NBA, MLB, NHL, and soccer right now. And, you know, at different times they have golf or NFL, and, you know, the Masters are right around the corner, so you've got that opportunity. I'm sure we'll be talking about that in the next few weeks. But, yeah, right now MLB is definitely the way to go as we see our teams, um, you know, already kind of tank it in the case of the White Sox. But, yeah, you can do free games. There's 1, 2, 5, 10, or 25. Um, You get ranked based on your performance head-to-head. You basically pick a couple pitchers and fill out your positions, set your lineup, submit it. You can do a bunch of research. It's actually a really clean really smooth site and um i i really enjoy it and you know especially if you're in other brackets in yahoo or like you know other fantasy leagues you can quickly uh go from your daily fantasy right back to your other things easily toggling from one to the other so um really really like the daily fantasy setup with yahoo yeah and if you're not like onshu and you've never played daily fantasy before yahoo's got you covered unlike the other daily fantasy sites that let you use 150 different lineups and clog up all of the convoluted standings yahoo has a 10 entry max so your chances are going to be better for you to win the big contest so again go to yahoo.com slash daily fantasy or download the yahoo fantasy app you're going to get 25 dollars in free play when you make your first deposit using the promo code pod pod 25 uh that's pod 25 and your minimum deposit there's only five bucks so why not try it out throw a few shekels down maybe you'll win and stay in the game like anshu has for so long so check it out yahoo <laughs> daily fantasy all right anshu Speaking of Yahoo Fantasy, we're using Yahoo for our fantasy rankings here as we talk about fantasy baseball, and we're really just going to look at this high level. I know we're in a couple different types of leagues. I've got a categories league. We've got our head-to-head league with points. There's a lot of different ways to do fantasy baseball, especially with all the stat categories and things like that. Uh, So let's just talk through kind of some of the guys that you're keeping an eye on that you maybe think uh, could have breakout years, could make your season, and then ultimately some some sleepers there, some deep sleepers. So starting with the starting pitchers, I know that's one of your favorite categories, Anshu. Who's kind of your oh, yeah. workhorse this year, a few workhorses that you're that you're looking toward, uh, and then maybe a sleeper or two? Okay, yeah. Uh, well, you know, like sometimes you don't get the opportunity at Max Scherzer. He's the obvious candidate. I know he lost today, which is going to hurt you in some of your category leagues, but if you're in a good points league, losses won't hurt you too much. Um, as you know, as I've gotten on my soapbox before about wins and losses, but you know, it's, it's, he's so locked in and it's so hard to find pitchers. I think my policy with pitchers in fantasy is generally let's cross out the guys that are risky, you know, like, I mean, especially at the top, let's not lose our leagues early on. Um, and so that means I'm not drafting Noah Syndergaard in the first round, even though he could potentially, you know, if he's healthy, he could be a person who wins you a league. 
Um, you know, let's not draft Clayton Kershaw early because he's always hurt and he's always got these back issues. The guys that I'm eyeing are guys like Scherzer in the first round, Cole in the second or for a little less. Verlander's obviously older. He's probably not as much of a target for me, but Verlander and Kluber are kind of next up. They're in that, that top tier, though, as well. Um, you know, DeGrom is obviously coming off an absolutely absurd season, but he's had an injury history. I generally avoid him. I avoid Chris Sale because of his injury history as well. And the fact that in the second half, he's generally tired, um, you know, over the course of the season. So, you know, when you're talking about top tier guys, those are those are the workhorses to me. I think Cole, Verlander, Kluber, Carrasco is in a really good spot, especially in win-loss leagues. Again, on the Indians, we talked on the leftovers about how easy the Indian schedule is. That's a huge feather in his cap. Um, you know, again, Scherzer, and then you know, then down the line a little bit. I think there are some guys that you have the opportunity to steal. Guys like Chris Archer and Steven Strasburg, I think, are opportunity guys. Even though you know they're they are a little risky. Archer's almost never been hurt, knock on wood. And um, you know, he's a guy that I would be targeting because he's only a year removed from being really, really good. Um, that those are the kind of guys I I look at, I guess. And then as far as sleepers, I mean. It's almost not a sleeper anymore. Chris Paddock of the uh, of the Padres has been absolutely insane. Again, Matt Strom is another one from the Padres I really like. I love a couple of the guys on the Braves as sleepers. Um, Kyle Wright is someone who uh, got the nod. He's going to be. He was a rookie last year, but he I think got the fifth slot there for the for the Braves. And um, another one that I'd be looking at. And uh, you know, there's Corbin Burns from the Brewers is the one I like as well. So. Just a couple names out there for you, especially in strikeout leagues. Those guys are going to help you a ton. Yeah, as far as like a, a kind of a stud, I think Aaron Nola's a guy uh, to keep an yes. eye on. He he had a oh. big year last year, and I think the bats that the Phillies have brought in are going to help him in a big way, especially in the wins column, like you mentioned. So if wins are important in your league like they are in the league that you and I are in together, I think Nola's mm-hmm. going to have a big jump in that category, and I think he'll be a real Cy Young candidate this year for the Phillies. Obviously, last year they didn't have the type of offense that they're expecting to have this year. So I, I like Nola a, quite a bit if you can get him late in the first round, early in the second. Uh, you know, being there are some big names out there. As far as sleepers, I, I really like Ronaldo Lopez. I know that's going to sound like a homer pick, but just watching him last year and kind of hoping that the Sox bats are a little bit better than they were last year and their lineup's a little bit more consistent. I think he's a guy with some bat support that could win a lot more games, and I think his stuff kind of showed last year that he, he's got some variety in his pitches and that he could he can kind of bring some, some ace type of stuff. Obviously, he's not at that point yet. He's still a young guy, but I think that Ronaldo Lopez is a guy that I've been looking to snag a little bit later in, in the drafts that I've been a part of, and I feel like he's still under the radar enough where you can get him uh, you know, a little later than some of the other guys that are a little bit more of a household name. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree on Ronaldo Lopez. He was one of the best pitchers in all of baseball at the end of last season. I I love that call by you. I think that you know there there he's he's definitely a name to uh, to circle in drafts. And if you're going to stay on the White Sox, I think Carlos Rodon. You know he's my guy. And if he just stays healthy, I he's you know he was um, awesome last year when he came back. Um, just kind of tanked it in September. I think he just ran into arm fatigue coming off the injury. Has never pitched that much. Um, I, I absolutely love Carlos Rodan, uh, staying in that division. You know, we talked, I talked about Kraska a little bit. Mike Clevenger is, a, is the guy for the Indians. I could easily see him winning the Cy Young altogether. And, and, you know, he's, he's a really good pitcher, man. He is the next in line, especially if they trade Bauer or Kluber this off season or during the season even. Um, so those are, those are some names. Shane Beaver's another one, you know, generally speaking, if you just target certain pitching coaches that have a track record, a lot of times you're going to have some success. Jamison Tyon is another one, um, because of how good Pittsburgh's, uh, uh, pitching coaches. So that, you know, those are the types Houston has Wade Miley, who was, who pitched well for the Brewers last year, but he goes to another team and now he's a guy to watch, obviously, um, you know, with the Astros, even though he kind of seems to have kind of milquetoast stuff. He's just going to, you know, he's going to be productive. He's going to get a ton of wins on an awesome team. And, you know, those are the guys to target. What about relievers? Obviously, you think about closers and, you know, your, your late relievers, your setup guys. But what relievers? I mean, obviously, you've got the big names like Edwin Diaz, Kenley Jansen, Blake Trainin. Uh, but are there any guys outside of kind of the more household names that you see that might get a closer opportunity or, or you know, be one of those setup guys that, that gets a few more innings that you are willing to maybe throw a pick out there on that uh, maybe you wouldn't otherwise think reliever for? Yeah, so relievers are tough. I'm I'm pretty bad. If I have a blind spot, I would say it's relievers in part because 
I never pay for saves if I can help it. Just because like there are only so few guys and because nowadays in baseball, especially since the playoffs a few years ago, like teams are loath to, you know, assign specific players to close out games, right? They they use players or relievers in their most high leverage spots. So you see guys like Josh Hader, like even Kenley Jansen, I think at times, um, who you think are probably the best relievers in baseball, but they end up pitching in the eighth. Like today, I think Hader threw the last six outs for the Brewers. And, you know, it's the first game of the year, but, you know, this is a big game they feel like, and he, you know, those were the biggest outs. So you want to look towards probably the less analytically inclined teams. And I think that's where a guy like David Robertson for the, for the uh, Phillies is definitely one I would target because a, he's got a great track record and B, you know that, you know, Gabe Kapler's probably going to toss him out in the ninth inning every single game. Um, you know, I, I still think Kenley, Kenley Jansen, Kenley Jansen is probably a good bet just because he's on an awesome team. Um, I, and then, I get, like, look at teams that are potentially going to flip players because they're going to try to rack up saves and boost, you know, the guy's, like, uh, trade value at the deadline. So whoever's closing for the Orioles is someone I would target, whoever's, the White Sox have Alex Colomay. I would think that that's a, a name to watch for sure. He was really good two years ago before he got traded to the Mariners and became a setup man. I would say those two names are, are ones that I circle. Yeah, so for me, relievers is the position that it, it, it changes so much depending on the type of league you're in, more so than any other position, I for think. Sure. So, so you, you know, you look at the guys who have the low ERAs that don't necessarily have to be closers – uh, that you that you could maybe get a couple innings out of a few strikeouts here and there, but they're not necessarily uh, you know somebody that you're you're leaning on. So I, I think that in a in a categories league, maybe relievers don't hold as much value, especially closers don't hold quite as much value because they're they're not getting you the innings that you're needing to win in those types of categories. But in a points league like we're in together, I, I think closers do do hold a lot of value, and I I, I personally have held two to three, even four closers on my roster just because you have an opportunity for, for you know, 10 points a game uh, each, yep. each each day. So I, I, I do like having closers on my roster. The problem is, like you said, you don't know when you're going to get those points and when they're going to come. So, you know, it's, it's a difficult balancing act. But, uh, the, you know, there are some some guys out there that, that I think are worth, worth taking a shot on. Roberto Osuna is going to be a guy that's going to get a shot for – uh, you know the Astros, and obviously he was suspended for a lot of last year. He he's had some issues. He was in Toronto, but he was an All Star before all that happened. So I think he's a guy to keep an eye on. Um, you know, D- Doolittle out in Washington. I think he's going to get an opportunity as long as he holds on to their starting job because there's you know the possibility that he could lose it. But I think he's a guy that could could see some burn there as well. Uh, so it's it's it for closers. I think it's an interesting thing to to keep watch of uh, because you know they they do change so often throughout the season and it, it's especially when you look at like the waiver wire. I think keeping an eye on that waiver wire, knowing who's going to ultimately end up in those spots and, and kind of uh, taking advantage of that where you can might be somewhere you could get some value later on in the season as well. What For about sure. – let, so as far as like positions, let's go to the bats. Let's let's kind of do this this way. So let's talk as, – as, instead of going each position, let's go corner infielder, middle infielder, yeah. infielder, and then outfielder. So let's start with the outfield. Uh, again, let's kind of keep the same theme here, strengths and dark horses. Yeah, I mean, I know that Christian Yelich is a guy that a lot of people have kind of faded because they felt like last year's power surge in the second half is being overrated, and, you know, he won an MVP based on that. And so he's sort of fallen in some leagues. I love Christian Yelich. I don't get – you know, he's young, like he was meant to have that breakout. And I think that he's going to sustain that breakout. I think that the players around him are only going to get better and help buoy him even more. I think Christian Yelich is basically like Mookie Betts volume two. And I, I think that he is going to be right there. I, in fact, I think he's the second best outfielder this year. And I would take wow. him early, especially in category leagues because of his stolen bases. And as long as he stays healthy, I, I think that he's an absolute star. I, I think that Christian Yelich is a bona fide stud. So that's one that I, I definitely think is a safe bet. I think like that next tier is really intriguing to me, and that's probably where I start going for outfielders. I think, you know, you think of the young guys, Acuna, Soto, Benintendi, you know, Springer's a little bit older, obviously, but he's he's super talented in the middle of an awesome lineup in Houston is gonna have a ton of games in a, you know, a band box park where he's going to hit a ton of home runs. Mitch Hanniger's a guy I really like. Marcelo Zuna really came on. He's two years removed from being an absolute monster. Was banged up last year for St. Louis. I think he could be a stud this year as well. Yasiel Puig's finally going to get a ton of time 
for Cincinnati. I like him a lot. David Dahl never really gotten a chance at the full-time job in Colorado. He's always hurt. If he's healthy, he's a stud. I'm a huge Michael Conforto fan. I think you know that. I think I really like him as well. So those are kind of like the top guys. Um, you know, Victor Robles, I think, is you know a year removed from being the top prospect in all of baseball, basically. And you know, he basically won the outfield starting center field job for the Nats by default because Michael A. Taylor's hurt. He could run away with that literally because he could steal like 50 bases. So I like him. Jackie Bradley Jr. from Boston did a bunch of tweaks to his swing and he's trying to add more loft. I think you could see a surge in home runs for him. Um, you know, he's kind of like a Jason Hayward type otherwise where you don't expect a huge fantasy season, but um, he's working on, you know, putting a lot more loft under his swing and I think that's going to result in bombs for him. So that's a good sign. And then obviously our boy Aloy Jimenez, you know, it, you could, you're going to have to pay for, for, pay for the risk a little bit, but the reward we know is a potential home run king as a rookie. So that's a stud. What's uh, what do you what do you think in here? I, I love Charlie Blackman as a top five guy in the outfield mm. this year. I think he's going to continue. Obviously, got the big contract, but I think Charlie Blackman's a guy that could have another great year. Obviously, um, I like George Springer. He was a guy that I had circled as well. I think you know his injury issues that he dealt with last year are going to have him drop a little bit, but I still think he's got top ten potential as an outfielder. And if he can if he can stay healthy, he may even kind of sneak into that top six, seven range. So I think Springer is great value if you can get him, you know, in that four or five round type of range if you're in a 10 to 12 team league. Um, as far as as far as far sleepers, you know, again, we're, we, you just mentioned uh, our boy. Uh, you know, I, I think that's a guy that, you know, if you can get him late enough now that he's on the opening day roster, batting first, or excuse me, batting fifth, I think that uh, Eloy Jimenez is a guy that if you can get him late enough, you're going to you're gonna reap the rewards later on in the season. It's going to start out rocky. You're going to want to drop him at points. Uh, but if, as, if you're not a Sox fan, he's a guy that you might not know as well, and you're going to know that name here in the next six months. I promise you that. So uh, those, those are some guys that I had my eyes out for. What about the middle infield? Right up the middle, we've got the shortstops and the second baseman. Oh yeah, this is a good this is a good question. Um, you know, I I think that there are there are a couple. You know, I I think as a sleeper, first of all, Yohan Moncada is going to be a stud this year. I I know that that comes off a little bit you know homerish, but I think that he is going to be a breakout here this year. And depending on your league, you know, you're going to get Alex Bregman as a middle infielder as a shortstop eligibility. And dude, if you do, uh, more power to you because that guy. I've said it before. I'll just say it again. I think that he's going to win the MVP of the AL this year. I bet on it. I think that he's just a complete and utter stud, and I have him circled in any league where I can get him and in DFS. Whenever they're playing at home, that's that's basically a lock for me. So love, love, love uh, Andrew Benintendi. Or I'm sorry, um, uh, Alex Bragman. Uh, other second base. I mean, Daniel Murphy's playing for the Rockies now. He's basically playing first, but he's still got – middle infield eligibility in most leagues. So Daniel Murphy, to me, easy call there. Um, you might not like the guy. I don't, but he is, he is a super stud. So that's a def- definite uh, positive for me. Um, as far as some of the sleepers, I really like Jeff McNeil. There's a young guy from the Mets with a ton of pop for a second baseman slash middle infielder. I think that he's a he's someone to target for sure. If he He's playing third, essentially, for them. So you get a third base bat with second base eligibility. Sign me up for that all day, every day. Um, and, you know, a guy that you know, a lot of times when you look at these, you kind of have names that you fatigue from. And I think Robinson Cano is one of those names. Um, you know, if he's healthy and plays the whole year and isn't suspended for the Mets, um, he could launch uh, for the Mets against some of these teams in, in a, uh, within the division. So I like Robbie Cano as well. What about you? I've always loved Cano. He went yard today, actually. Um, so that's, I, oh, yeah. I think, a great call. I love Gene Segura. Uh, he obviously had a great year for Seattle last year. He was an all-star. He's a guy that uh, is well-rounded, and he'll, he's in Philadelphia now. I just think that we've talked we, just, we talked about this a little bit ago and, and kind of the, the improvements that the Phillies have made with their bats and how that was going to help Aaron Nola. So I think he's a guy that's going to have a great opportunity to be an integral part of that lineup for Philadelphia. Um, I, I had Ozzy Albies last year. He was very consistent. I think he could have a breakout year. Uh, he's a guy out of Atlanta that is going to have an opportunity to shine in a you know a very talented and young lineup. And uh, mm-hmm. you know I know you were very high on him last year coming into the yes, season. Yes, I was very uh, annoyed. And, and yeah. I remember when I when I selected him and and how annoyed you got and and I, it ended up proving to be a very fruitful transaction for me. Trey Turner's <laughs> a guy I still think is a top 
top five overall fantasy player, and I, you know, in in two drafts that I've been in now, he's dropped a little bit down the down the the line, and I just I think he's a guy that you still can find a ton of opportunity and value with, especially if you can get him like second, third, fourth, fifth round. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Trey Turner's a guy that still has a lot of value as well. So uh, as far as sleepers, as far as sleepers, for sleepers, I look for people that have utility in a lot of different positions. I think Jerickson Profar is a guy in Oakland that's going to get a lot of burn. He'll play every day, and he's going to pretty much play every position in the infield at some point. So I think he's a guy that uh, gives you a lot of utility and a lot of different ways that you can use him for, for a sleeper. Uh, so I think that's a guy that, that uh, maybe a late-round flyer would be worth taking. Yeah, for sure. And and just a few others while you're at it. I mean, I, I think Adalberto Mondesi, and this is kind of the thing about it depends what league you're in, like categories versus points, because in a category league, Trey Turner's a no-brainer because he does literally everything. He's so good. Um, and then, you know, Adalberto Mondesi is another one from Kansas City who's probably like a second or third round pick in those leagues. But in ours, in a point league, you know, he's like maybe barely draftable. So, that's a name. You talked about versatility. I think Max Muncy is that type too, first, second, third eligible in Yahoo. So definitely look at him. And then Paul DeYoung, he's going to bat third for the St. Louis Cardinals with protection with Paul Goldschmidt batting ahead of him, playing every day. And at shortstop gives you a ton of pop at a position where it's tough to find it. I think that's one to, to watch for as well. Yeah, Jose Peraza is another name to keep an eye on. The Reds are going to be a team that's going to surprise some people this year. Obviously, they've been down for several years, but he's a guy at their shortstop position uh, You know that, that kind of started to break out a little bit last year, and I think he's going to continue to do that this year as well. Uh, what about the corner mm-hmm. infield, Anshu? The first base, the third baseman, how do you see uh, this? Uh, these corner infielders going this year? Yeah, I mean, you want to make sure that this position you're stocked because first and third are basically your money positions. Um, and so, you know, when you get the corner infield spot, you want to make sure you generally you probably want a first baseman. But this year's third base is deep. When you're talking about safe guys, I think Anthony Rendon, again, I, I think I said this on leftovers, but he's, this, he's the most underrated player in baseball. Dude is an absolute stud, a total star. He's gonna. The Nats are gonna end up paying him all the money that they were gonna pay. Maybe not all the money they were gonna pay pay Harper, but they're definitely gonna use a little carved out carve out of that and, and give it to Rendon. I mean, you know, Anthony Rizzo is just one of those guys that's gonna be so steady for you. If you want to set it and forget it, guy, Anthony Rizzo is definitely your dude in points leagues. Uh, Chris Bryant is naturally gonna be overdrafted because the Cub fans are are in every league. But if you for whatever reason are in a league where they're not there. Chris Bryant's a major bounce back candidate was so banged up last year. He's obviously going to come back and be awesome this year. So I like Bryant a lot more than I like Javi Baez. So, you know, I know Baez is shortstop and second base eligible, but give me Chris Bryant all day with a third base and outfield and at the corner spot. Um, as far as, you know, again, you talked a little bit about um, like some versatility, Cody Bellinger, first base outfielder, especially in category leagues. He's not like your classic first baseman. He's not going to hit 40 bombs, but going to get a ton of runs going to get a bunch of rbis in that in that lineup and you know is going to get on base a ton he's just not going to go through many stretches of poor play because he's so solid and a eugenio suarez from the reds you talked about um peraza i mean suarez is a stud and you know again one of the most underrated players in baseball could be coming into his own i really like him in you know the middle early to mid rounds uh from the reds yeah, as far as sleepers, a name that you're going to start to hear along with Eloy Jimenez as far as the youngsters go, and it's a name that you heard growing up in the 90s as well as Vladimir Guerrero. This time it's the junior. Uh, he'll eventually get a chance this year. If you can draft him late, now he's a guy that everybody's talking about, so there's that that kind of uh, you know not so much of a sleeper. But if, if he's hanging around late in a draft and you you haven't drafted in your league or uh, you know, you, you, you may be doing it a little later than some of us already have, or he's still sitting out there on the waiver wire for some reason, pick him up. I think that's a guy that you'll get some value in later on. Uh, there's there, the few others that, uh, that I'm always looking at, uh, Jose Abreu, he's a guy that's kind of been very consistent throughout his career. I think, I think that some of the, that extra year under the belt for, for the, a lot of these socks. Uh, in that lineup is going to help Jose Abreu. And I think he'll have an opportunity to shine. And if the socks aren't doing well, leading up to the trade deadline. He's a guy that's his name's been talked about quite a bit as a trade piece. And I think if he goes mm-hmm. to a contender, it's just going to maximize his value even more, even more. So I think that's the guy point. Uh, to look at as well. Uh, and then some of the guys that, uh, you know, have that versatility that we talked about Whit Merrifield is if you're in a categories league, he led the league in stolen bases last year with 45. He's a guy that you don't really ex- think of as, as a base dealer, but I, he, he does it. And he, he, 
has a great batting average. So in a categories league with Merrifield is going to be one of your top guys. And if you can get him in a little bit later round, uh, that's definitely a guy uh, that I would that I would take early for sure. Um, Javi Baez, another guy that has some versatility. Uh, he's a guy that's going to have pop. He's a guy that in a points league could win you a week. I mean, he's a guy that could put up big points in a game or two. And obviously our Cubs fans love him and he's going to get overdrafted here in Chicago. But if you're somewhere else in the country and there's not a lot of Cubs homers in your league, uh, then I would say Javi Baez is a guy that uh, could have another big year as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I mean, he can, I, I generally avoid him because every league I'm in has like half the league is Cub fans. So Bias is going to get overdrafted, and he's kind of like the sexier name, even compared to Brian and Rizzo. And I just think that those guys, I'm much more likely to draft Rizzo than I am Bias because of where they get drafted. If I'm drafting Bias, that means I'm passing on Bregman, you know, or I'm passing on, I, I don't know, somebody else I really like. You brought up Trey Turner. I mean, I'd, I'd rather have those guys than Bias. So just a thought. Um, as far as sleepers, I really like Pete Alonzo from New York. I think the Mets decided to keep him up surprisingly. And I think that he is a, just his power. He's got 80 power on the scale. So, you know, he, he could be a total stud this year. Uh, definitely a name to circle there. And then, you know, another name, a couple names down the line. Jake Bowers from Cleveland's going to get a ton of burn. I think that he's going to have every chance to play a ton. And he's, he's a name to watch. And, uh, you know, you brought up Jerks uh, in Profar. Another name that I like is Raphael Devers, who came up right around then for Boston. And we've talked about that lineup. He's just going to have so much. So many opportunities there that uh, I really like Devers. Nice. I think uh, I think that covers it. I think we you talked about skipping. I think we're going to skip catchers. Uh, I think that's okay. a position that's we don't good. really need to spend too much time on. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, we made it through. Obviously, we'll be talking a lot more fantasy baseball as the season goes on. You know, fantasy baseball, It's we had some fun with fantasy basketball this year, and, and obviously that's a daily fantasy game. But fantasy baseball, I, I was talking to somebody else about this today. It's the most demanding of the fantasy sports, in my opinion, at least oh, as yeah. far as leagues go, because there's so many different things you have to be cognizant of as the season goes on. And one of those things is that da- Dallas Keuchel doesn't play for somebody, so don't draft Dallas Keuchel <laughs> in your league like I did, like the idiot <laughs> I am. So uh, I just wanted to end with that, but – you know, have a ball, do the Yahoo daily fantasy. If you're not doing a league, that's another way that you have an opportunity to win some, some change here and there uh, and just have fun with the, the baseball season. It, it's long. The games are boring at times, especially if you're a White Sox fan, they're not competing for a playoff spot, but hopefully they at least make it interesting and keep it fun for us. Aren't you? Oh God, one can dream. But yeah, I, you know, we talked about a bunch of socks here and that's, that's what I'm looking for is, you know, just some fun, like improvements in performance out of the Moncadas and the Eloy Jimenez's. And, you know, if somebody else, you know, pops up, that'd be amazing for us. But right now it's really about those two guys and Carlos Rodon and, and a couple of the pitchers. So hopefully if they can do it, I think that'll make this year a lot more fun for us. Fair enough. Hopefully your guys's Bovada bracket is not as busted as mine and on shoes, but enjoy the six <laughs> sweet 16 and the elite eight. Nonetheless, before this weekend is over, we're going to have a final four Enjoy the opening weekend of the baseball season. We'll be along the, with you guys for the ride, and then we'll be talking some NBA playoffs and some daily fantasy with that coming forward. Uh, so we look forward to it. But for now, Anshu, our time has come to an end on the Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour. For Anshu Khanna, I'm Josh Dunn. We will see you guys next week.